John chapter 19, verse 25, brings us to the third thing that we hear from Jesus on the cross. Seven things we'll hear. The first thing, if you remember, was his executioners are nailing him to the cross and he prays for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Evidently, we repeat it over and over. Secondly, he makes a promise to a thief that had originally reviled him, but then had turned his heart. And Jesus said, verily today you'll be with me in paradise. And now we come to the third thing that we hear from Christ as he's on the cross. It says in verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he unto the disciple, Behold, thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. So we come to this remarkable picture of Jesus speaking first to his mother and then to John, the disciple whom he loved, from the cross, from the agony that he's in. It is a remarkable picture as it comes before us. And look, um, as, as we look at Mary this morning, you know, for you and I as Protestants, you know, we believe that she was, as the angel said in the Annunciation, she's blessed among women. Not blessed above women, but blessed among women. She had privileges that no other woman would have, caring for this baby, giving birth, nursing, raising. Um, she had memories that no other woman would ever have, that in heaven you may want to ask her about some of those things with little Jesus running around the home in his wonderful twos. Uh, she, she is certainly that, blessed among women. But she isn't what the Roman Catholic doctrine has done with her in making her someone that we have to go to to then have our prayers taken to Jesus. Someone who, along with him, is needed for our sins to be forgiven. In fact, in Rome today, the major church there of Mary, in the courtyard of that church, there is a crucifix that's high. And on the one side is Jesus nailed to the cross. And on the other side, back to back with Jesus, is Mary nailed to the cross. And she's recognized as the co-redemptrix that we needed her forgiveness and his forgiveness, which is blasphemous and demeaning 
to the thing that only he could do by himself. There's one mediator between man and God. So as we go through this, we want to give her the, the honor that she's due. We want to, by God's grace, you know, enter into some of her emotions, but we are not putting her in that place. So the last time we see her in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, where she's with the other disciples worshiping and seeking her Lord. And she understands that at that point in time. Here, we're brought into this scene where Jesus is surrounded, we know, by those mocking at him. He had been spit upon and beaten. And now the priests and the soldiers, even the thieves, initially both of them, mocking him, making fun of him, that's surrounding him. The soldiers are there, caring little, no doubt, about him. They are gambling upon his garments. In Psalm 22, we read, My strength is dried up like the potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can tell all of my bones. They look and they stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Psalm 22, where we hear Christ's heart. So he's in this place. He's hanging there. He's dehydrated. He's in agony. He's aware of those that have surrounded him that are wicked, that are mocking him, and so forth. And then all of a sudden, John alone presents us with this small group, five individuals that he places in front of us here. Four of them are women, and John himself. Matthew and Mark tell us there were other women that stood afar off, but evidently now there's a group that has drawn close to him. And he's specific, you know, of of who they are now. And it says they're standing by the cross, para, alongside the cross. They've come close. And as we watch the scene, Jesus is not high up on the cross. No doubt his feet are low enough to be touched by any of them. He's close enough in his brutalized condition to be able to speak and for them to hear. And he's on the cross and it says, as he looks down, he sees standing by the cross, first of all, Matthew, Mark, and John describe this group. Mary Magdalene is named in all three groups. Um, She is the one who was delivered from seven evil spirits. She has traveled with Jesus, loved him, supported him. And um, we will see her again, Resurrection Day. She's in the center, the first to see him wonderfully. Mary Magdalene is one of these women, and John names her here, it says, and Mary Magdalene. Then there, of course, is the mother of Jesus, Mary. John doesn't name her, but says that she is the mother of the Lord here. Jesus' mother is there. 
Um, and again, like John, he doesn't name himself. Interesting, he doesn't name her. He doesn't name his own mother, who's there, Salome. Uh, very interesting, when he Mary and Martha, he does name her because uh, there is a memorial given to her, and he's the one of the gospel writers, no doubt, that wrote after she had passed off the scene. He does name her, but like John, never names himself. He doesn't name the Lord's mother. He doesn't name his own mother. But we have Mary here, clearly, in verse 25. There stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. And then it says his mother's sister, and many try to make... Mary of Clopas, or Cleopas, his mother's sister. That would mean that there were two Marys in the same family, which would be unusual, unless the first one was such a disappointment you tried again. Uh, we know that his sister, we're told in Matthew's Gospel, that Salome is there, Salome, the mother of Zebedee's children. Then we're told in Mark that Salome is there. Then we're told here, though she's not named, the sister of Mary is there. No doubt this is John's mother, Salome, which makes James and John um, the cousins of Jesus, which makes Salome Jesus' aunt and Mary's sister. So we have that scene. Here is Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister. That's John's mother. And then Mary of Cleopas, who we don't have a lot of identification about. Matthew Mark tells that she is the mother of James. I believe Matthew says the less and Josie's, the wife of Cleopas. Um, early church tradition, Eusebius mentions that Hegesippus says that Cleopas was the brother of Joseph, Jesus' father-in-law. Jesus' father, uh, not by, obviously not biologically, his human father that Cleopas was the brother of Joseph, which would make Clopas or Cleopas, Alpheus in one place, um, the uncle of Jesus by his father. And then this Mary would be his aunt as well. So we have at the cross Mary, the mother of our Lord, we have there Salome, his aunt, his mother's sister. We have there Mary uh, of Cleopas, no doubt his wife and possibly a widow by this time. He, Cleopas never comes to the scene anywhere. No doubt Mary, his mother, a widow by this time because Joseph is not mentioned. And then we have Mary... Magdalene, and it's so interesting. All these Marys, the 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 name the name means bitterness, and it's so interesting to see this around the cross because it's hard for us to imagine what this was like. Evidently, and Jesus said to his disciples, "All of you will forsake me." 
this night. John had lingered a little to the house of Caiaphas, but no doubt he didn't go to the Sanhedrin. He didn't go to Pilate's jurisdiction there in the hearing. And John, like the others, had left. But no doubt he had left when he knew what the outcome was going to be in regards to the Lord. And he must have gone to where his mom, Salome, was with his aunt, Mary, and Mary of Clopas and Mary Magdalene waiting to hear somewhere what was the outcome, what was going to happen. And as John must have related to them, they're crucifying him. This is what's happening. Mary evidently resolved, I'm going to see him once more. And they begin then together to go to this place, Golgotha. And at a distance, no doubt, they see three crosses there. Three men crucified. And she knows her son is on one of those crosses. And as they draw near, this group of five at least comes standing by para alongside their close to the cross. And Jesus, you know, having been brutalized, you just imagine what's happened to him. He's dehydrated now. He's bled out to a degree. He's beaten beyond human recognition in agony from the crucifixion. It says he saw. He must have opened his eyes, however wide he could do that. And he looks down and he sees this group of five amongst the mockers. Amongst the soldiers gambling over his clothes. He's able to look down and see these faces. His hand, his mom, Mary Magdalene, John, whom he loved. What a gift this is to him at this point, no doubt. What a gift. Possible for you and I, impossible to imagine the agony, the pain, the grief. Mary and the others are experiencing. No doubt she remembers what Simon said, a soul, a a sword shall pierce through your soul when Jesus was a baby in Luke chapter 2 as she came to dedicate him and no doubt as she looks at that cross it looks like the hilt of a huge sword that's been plunged into the ground and she's there looking at her son look we don't hear a word from Mary in all four gospels she, she, in, in the broken, we, we don't hear she's screaming or she's sobbing out loud. She's there undone. I mean, for, first place, this is what every mother fears the death of a child. This is what every mother whose kid has cancer or leukemia or 
whose kid is a prodigal, whose kid is, you know, stricken with some, you know, disease or genetic problem. This is the fear of every mother, the loss of a child. Now, you multiply that after 30 years, after seeing him do miracles, after the annunciation that Gabriel had brought to her about the one that she'd give birth to, the perfect son, as it were, never grieved her, never broke her heart. And she's looking at him there. She knows that he'll never have a career, he's never going to be a doctor or a lawyer. She knows he'll never get married. He'll never give her grandchildren. She's silently in agony beyond what we can imagine, or certainly along with the others. Look at this unimaginable cruelty, unimaginable, hanging there. The soldiers gambling over his clothes. Her son is naked, the one she had held and nursed and cared for. A few feet away, but completely out of reach. Nothing she can do. Remarkable, remarkable scene. In verse 26, it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother, he, you know, at some point in his agony there, he looks and he sees them standing there. He saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. John doesn't name himself. It's so interesting. This event is only recorded in John's gospel as an old man. He has put his quill to the page. And the Holy Spirit had him record what had happened that day. And how he stood next to his aunt at the cross of his cousin and his Lord. And they stood there together. His mom was there. And how Jesus looked down. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, what a gift. He said unto his mother, woman, Behold thy son. He says unto his mother, and, and the, it, doesn't, it seems cold if we don't understand. Look, um, he, he, he says unto his mother, not mother, behold thy son, but woman. You know, we, we see her, no doubt, you know, the manger with the birth of Christ. We see her at the dedication when Simeon and Anna prophesy over her. We see her, you know, when they take Jesus and they go to the feast at Jerusalem and realize they've left him behind in Luke chapter 2, and then they go back and find him with the, the scribes and the teachers of the law. 
and and probably read him the riot act. Your mother and I, don't you know? And and he looked at them then and said, "Knowest thou not that I must be about my father's business?" There was something in her heart. Even then, she looked. Tells us in Luke two all of these things. She was keeping them in her heart and milling over them. At Cana of Galilee. When she brings to his attention that they've run out of wine, he says to her, woman, not mom. You know, most of us in that circumstance would say, mom, woman. And again, this is dear woman. What have I to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. And now the hour has come. And whatever agony she remembers in delivery, pushing him out into this world, is not even to be matched to the agony she feels letting him go out of this world. And he looks down from the cross. He says, woman, dear woman, behold, it's an imperative. Behold, you must Think about this. You must think about this. Behold thy son, John, the disciple, standing there. What a remarkable picture, dear woman. He speaks to her and calls her woman, the 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 human relationship is widening at this point because Mary doesn't need an incarnate Christ that she's given birth to at this time. What she needs is a crucified and a risen Christ. And she's, she's unlike any other woman that's ever lived, she's going through a transition into that reality. And yet he speaks to her. You know, it's interesting. You know, here is Jesus completely occupied with the most stupendous work ever done in heaven and earth, in time and eternity. Here is Jesus, the object of Satan's fiercest attack and malignity right now in the middle of this, hanging on the cross. Here is Jesus about to drink the cup that the Father has given to him, which meant separation from God in that three hours of darkness. And yet, perfect Son of God, perfect Son of Man, yet he's not above natural ties. He doesn't consider them unworthy of recognition. He had honored his mother and father. Luke chapter 2, verse, verse 52 says he went down to Nazareth. He was subject to them remarkably. This woman and her husband at that time, Joseph. So now he honors her as well from the cross. No doubt as he looks at her, he sees in her eyes all of these memories 
flooding. Verse 27 then is added, Then saith he unto the disciple, this is the one that he loves, again, behold, this is an imperative. You, you must, John, now see your mother. Behold thy mother. He had called her woman, but he says to John, thy mother. And it says from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. It's so interesting, John recording this. John remembered. He takes Mary. What does it mean immediately? Uh, some say, well, he, he took her right then. That's why he doesn't record the three hours of darkness. He came back and he heard. I said, we don't know any of that. Conjecture. But the idea is he took her. He took her home to his own house. She was his aunt. He grew up around her. His own mother, Salome, was her sister. And it's so interesting that Jesus doesn't give her to James, his brother, or Josie's, or Jude, or, you know, his own family, who were not yet followers of Christ. If he'd have sent her or let her go home with them, they'd have, they're not there, their own brother. They're not there at the cross. This is a, a shame to them at this point in time that he's in public on Passover with multitudes hung naked before the world crucified. And to have sent Mary home with, to them, no support, trying to talk her out of her illusions. We know, we know the angel talked to you. We, we, we know, we know. You know, Jesus doesn't do that. He looks down from the cross and he sees these two together. And he commends her and gives her to John, saying, John, take my, you're taking my place. What was it like for John? You're taking my place as a son. You're the one who laid upon my breast, and I'm the one who laid upon her breast. She's yours. Take care of her. Jesus, of course, fulfilling the scripture, that was never going to change. Exodus 20, verse 12, honor thy mother and thy father. This is the first commandment with a promise attached to it, that you might live long upon the earth. He was not going to experience that promise. But he's honoring his mother and father. He had said to the Pharisees and scribes, you're hypocrites. You're hypocrites. No, he's not talking to children there. He's talking to adults. The, the support that you'd have given to your parents, you take away and claim you can give it to the temple and say, Corbin, you know, you, you honor God with your lips, but your heart is far away from him. This is hypocrisy because Jesus himself knew that a, a grown son or daughter still has responsibility 
toward a parent. He certainly is our example in that. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 certainly confirm that. And Paul is completely clear, and it says, someone who doesn't provide for his own household. And this is Jesus' will and testament. He leaves her John. Anyone who doesn't provide for his own household is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. And it's interesting, who doesn't provide pro horizo, who doesn't see ahead. And certainly... The Lord saw ahead. Tradition tells us that she went with John to Ephesus, and she's buried there at Ephesus. She spent the rest of her years under his care. Um, Obviously, he was much younger than her. And that he cared for her. Jesus caring for her at this point providing for his own house. We're warned in Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days where we're living now, the culture is going to be love of money, love of self, love of pleasure more than lover of God. And it says they're disobedient to parents. And the culture that you and I are washed in every day is something that a parent doesn't even have a right to know what the school biologically is encouraging their child to do. We live in a culture where parents are outlaws. And any young generation can adopt any of that that they want to. We live in a situation where a patriarch is no longer respected, which in biblical times was in some ways the most respected position in the family. And Jesus demonstrates his care for his mother as they're both adult. His spirit through Paul says, if we don't do that, we're worse than an infidel. His spirit through Paul is clear. In the last days, people aren't going to want anything to do with this. So is it is in our study this morning, it has to speak to our own hearts. Mom or dad, you know, they say a man is never a man until his father passes. And I remember when my dad passed. And it's so funny, you know, what you think then is, I wish I had spent more time with him. I wish I'd have gone down the house more often. I knew that was important to him, but he always knew, oh, you're busy, I know, you know. And then when he's gone, you kind of wish, you know, my mom, you know, who I struggled with. She was tough. She was a tough old German and just beat me with all kinds of objects. uh, But when she was gone, so many good things were gone as well. And you wish. Now I had to sit in the yard and say, Lord, forgive me my attitude towards my mom. She humiliated me so many times. She's my sister. She's with you in glory. 
And it's important to Jesus and to the scripture and to the Holy Spirit that we maintain an attitude toward our parents. Proverbs from Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, says this, hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. What a picture. Jesus teaches us to show the utmost care, even to our last breath. Quote Chrysostom. Chrysostom says Jesus teaches us to show the utmost care for our parents, even to our last breath. I think what an exhortation. I encourage you, mine are gone. They're in glory. I'll see them again. They were no more the perfect parents than I was the perfect son. The distance between Jesus and his mother was immeasurable compared to the difference, distance between me and mine. I was human, my mother was human, and whatever I thought she was doing wrong, whatever was under my skin or my dad, the distance between my humanness and their humanness was not to be compared with the distance between Mary's humanness and her son's divinity. And yet, he stoops to care for her. You know, the weight of his body pulling on those nails, and he has to push himself to, up so that he's able to speak and say, woman, behold thy son. The agony just to do that and to say to John, behold thy mother. John's eyes, he must have had eye contact. It doesn't, John doesn't say, and then he said to John, it just says unto the disciple, behold thy mother. John understood what that meant to the point that he took her home and he cared for her for the rest of her life. It's so interesting. We find him here praying for his executioners. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He makes a promise to a thief of paradise. And then he makes provision for his own mother. That she would not be forsaken. She'd be in a warm, loving, caring place to live out the rest of her days. And you think of the machinations, the things that are going on there that are so human and so divine at the same time. And yet Jesus is our example. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. We are being conformed into his image and into his likeness. If you have your mom and dad today, or your mom, or your dad. Ask Jesus 
gotta love them. And I know there's a lot of us that are broken. We had abusive parents. But I know testimony after testimony after testimony of Christians that led that abusive parent to the Lord before they died. God chose biologically that combination of people to give you life. And there is a woman who screamed on an aluminum or a stainless steel table and squeezed you out into this world or you wouldn't be alive to complain about her. And God's sovereignty was involved in that. And maybe that abuse early is one of the things that contributed to you coming to salvation, to a loving father, to a heavenly family. And better to have gone through terrible things then and now to have our inheritance in heaven, in joy, than to have been raised in a perfect environment by multimillionaires with a silver spoon in our mouth and go to hell when we die. God's design is all around us. He calls us to recognize it. And I think for us, Lord, help me be near the cross. That's where I need to be. They drew near. They could hear him there. Help me be near the cross. Certainly there, love is the most pure. It gives its greatest example. Certainly there. Is where I go for continual cleansing, not only from sin, but from my pettiness. The things I gripe and complain about, and I look at him in his agony, pushing himself up, caring for others, his executioners, a thief. His mom. Lord, help me stay near the cross because, in one sense, that's where I'm closest to you. That's where I have the most assurance. That keeps me every day. I sit near that cross. And I realize he's there bearing the sins of the world. And mine contributed to that. Mary in agony, praying for her own son. No, praying for God's son as well. Somehow she stands there. She says nothing. She has all of and magnified the love of a mother in agony. She doesn't cry out. She doesn't say this is terrible. She doesn't curse the Romans. She's, 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 she's there remembering the Annunciation. She, she's there re remembering, blessed art thou among women. She's there 
remembering that Elizabeth said she was the handmaid of the Lord. She's there remembering that Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, was out stirring the whole area. She's there, you know, remembering that at, at 12, that, you know, the, the sword is going through her soul that Simeon had prophesied, and now it's reality. And she's there, and he's talking to her. She's there, and he's talking to her. And he is there and will talk to us as well. Lord Jesus, help us to be near the cross. In these seven sayings, there are things taking place there that should take hold of our hearts. John refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple that Jesus loved. And then when he writes, 1 John chapter 4, 19, he says, we love him because he first loved us. And those eyes through that beaten face, the straining voice, Behold thy mother. The one that loved him. The one he loved in return. And he took Mary. And he cared for her for the rest of her life. It's amazing what Jesus can say in seven words. That I can't say in 700 or 7,000. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is our example. He's our example with our persecutors to pray for them, Father, forgive them. He's our example with those with the most rotten rap sheet that have been even mean to us to then promise paradise. And he's our example in the most natural of human relationships, even where there's misunderstanding, there's difficulty. to emulate himself in those relationships. It's good stuff for all of us to pray about. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, we look to you. We listen to you, Lord. We realize how far short we fall of your example. But Lord, it is near the cross that we see that example. It is near the cross where our sins were carried, where our debt was paid. 
It is near the cross that has brought us from darkness to life. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. Lord, help us learn. Help me. Help me learn. The things, Lord, that transpired there. Help me live them out in my present life, Lord. Thank you for my own redemption, Lord. Paid for there, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I have paradise ahead of me, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that before I knew you, When I mocked you, you prayed for me. Thank you as I struggle in human relationships. The cross is sufficient. Thank you, Lord, that you're patient because of that cross as you conform us into your own image and likeness. Lord, we love you, Lord Jesus. We look to you, Lord Jesus. have our hearts, Lord. We know that from our heart the issues of life flow forth. Lord, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.